and he went away. He obeyed, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Can you imagine that we leave here today as you're on your way to the McDonald's drive-thru, and before you get there, can you imagine you're just shouting at the top of your lungs everywhere you go, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's rescued me. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you again, and uh, just with such joyful hearts today. Lord, thank you for lives that have been redeemed. Thank you for lives that testify that when the question is asked, have you given your life to Christ, it's a resounding shout of yes. Oh God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, Lord. May we be those people that our lives are no longer our own. May we be those people that desire you and nothing else. Uh, May we be like the Apostle Paul when he said that I'm determined, I am determined, I'm resolute to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, may that be us. Uh, May we be the ones in a culture that is dark, in a culture that is depraved, in a culture that hates Jesus. May we be the light in the midst of the darkness. May we glow in such a way, as your word says, that they will see our good works that comes from true faith, but they will glorify our Father who's in heaven. And so, Father, I pray right now that as we open your word, if there's one that has never surrendered their life to you, God, I pray today will be the day of salvation. God, for the one that's hurting, that's struggling, that's discouraged, that seems like that there's no hope, God, I pray today they will see there is hope, and His name is Jesus. And so, Lord, as we open Your Word, may I decrease, may You infinitely increase, and may You receive all the praise, all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible, turn to Acts 21, Acts 21, as we look at verses 17 through 26, Acts 21, as we look at verses 17 through 26, and I pray that uh, your Bible is open and you're ready, uh, as I am ready, to feast on the Word together. The thought today is uh, just a very pressing thought on my mind, and the thought that you'll see there in your sermon notes is in the form of a question, and the question is, what dominates our conversations? Think through that for a moment. What dominates your conversations? Just do an exercise with me right now and picture yourself. You're at work, you're at the family reunion, uh, you're at church, you're wherever you are. Just think through this right now. Do an exercise. What dominates your conversations? That thought really began to sear in my mind this past week. As I began to think, what dominates my conversations? Are the conversations about me? Are the conversations about what I'm not getting? Are the conversations revolving around this world that we're in, and yes, it's dark, and yes, it's difficult, and But am I unwittingly getting sucked into this? Or 
Do my conversations revolve around what God is doing? Specifically in me. In you. Like when's the last time you had a conversation where as you're talking with that person or people that you're like, wow, God is just, you wouldn't believe what God's doing in my life. He's making me more like Jesus. It's really hard, by the way, really difficult, very discouraging. But my God is great, and He's greatly to be praised. And then this thought occurred to me as I was going through this exercise of rebuke to myself. Here's what I thought. I talk about the things that I love. Like, you don't have to, like, try to motivate me, cheerlead me, encourage me, come alongside me to start talking about football, chocolate chip cookies, my family. Not in that order, of course. Jesus, or do I have to be pushed along and encouraged to talk about how great He is? We talk about the things we love, every one of us. And for the true believer, the things that should dominate our conversations should be the things that are most important to God. Boy, what an exercise this past week it's been. A much-needed one to recalibrate, to rethink, to go back to what matters most and, and what's most important in life. Because at the end of all of this, it's going to end Every human being will end up either in a heaven where God is or a hell where God is not. Those are the two options. Every person will end up in one of those two places. And I don't know about you, but I want to be talking about the things that God is doing because, A, I need it, right? I need it in my flesh. I need it in my wickedness, in my moments of sin, and I need that. And yet other people around me and you, as you are talking about the things of the Lord, they need it. If everything's always doom and gloom, it's going to be tough sledding, isn't it? Like plowing concrete. But when we can begin to look away and, as Paul said, be sorrowful, but always, but always, but, but always rejoicing, the impact of that testimony could be so far-reaching that perhaps only heaven will reveal the impact of that testimony. I think Acts 21, 17 through 26 is going to show us just this thought. And so let's look at it together. And as we read this, I want you to be asking through this time, truthfully, ask yourself, what dominates my conversations? Here's what the Word of God says, Acts 21, verses 17 through 26, ESV. It says this, so when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us how? Gladly. 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So still dealing with this thought of elders and what that looks like. We'll talk about that again. We've been talking about this for weeks now. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Did you catch that? I hope you caught that. We're going to come back to it. 20, Acts 21, verse 20 that is. And when they heard it, they did something. They glorified who? God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Hmm. They are zealous for the law. 21, 
and they have been told about you hmm, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now look at these last few verses, 22. There's, there's a response to all of this. Acts 21, verse 22 and following, what then is to be done? What then is to be done is the question. Hmm. They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore, 23, what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. Oh, wow. That's a bogo so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. 25 and 26. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. Lastly, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and he went to the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them, period, end quote. Church, this is the Word of God, and all God's people said, amen. You know, our last time together, as I'm looking here at the Scripture in front of me, remember the Holy Spirit through the prophet Agabus, he warned Paul, he said, hey, I'm going to take this guy's belt, whoever owns this, and he's going to be, well, afflicted, he's going to be troubled, uh, there's going to be a really, really hard life for this guy who owns this belt as he lives for Jesus. And, of course, he was talking about Paul, and that Paul would face this persecution in Jerusalem. And it's interesting, when you think about Paul going towards Jerusalem, and you think about Christ going towards Jerusalem, both of those guys, as they went towards Jerusalem, faced horrific things. God had sovereignly ordained that Jerusalem would be the place, that it would be the place where Christ would suffer, would bleed, would die, that he'd be tortured and brutally executed. And Paul, as we look at church history, would suffer deeply, deeply for the gospel. And last week we learned that there's those elders that are pleading with Paul and they're saying, you know, don't go, but we want you to stay here. And Paul's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's like, I've been called to die, to be imprisoned, and I'm willing to do both for the gospel. Don't stop my mission. And so they went to Jerusalem. And here in 21, verses 17, we'll call it 20A. 20A is an apple. I want to just focus on this for a moment. So I'm going to give you two key points in our time together two key chunks. So look at 21, 17 through 28. Let's, let's just mine these Scriptures. Get out your spiritual shovel. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak in a powerful way right now. And here's what the Word says. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us again. How did they receive us? Shouted out, gladly. Okay, so it's with great joy. See, these were brothers, not physical brothers. These were spiritual brothers. And the New Testament, when it uses that word brothers, it's talking about spiritual brothers and sisters. In this case, there are true brothers as far as men. And they received, it says, us gladly. They were like-minded. So Paul, you got to remember, if you really need to do a deep dive on this, Paul and his posse, they're, they're bringing an offering to the church in Jerusalem, which is going to help spread the gospel. Now, 18, it says this of Acts 21, on the following day, Paul went in with what? Us to see who? James. This is the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church. 
and all the elders were present. So the biblical model, here it is, so the biblical model of godly men who pursue godly things is in action here. We've been talking about this ad nauseum for weeks, what biblical eldership looks like. Not the most successful guy in the community, not the guy that has it all together. It's the guy who is godly, the guy who is pursuing spiritual things above everything else. And here you got a bunch of these guys, because this is a really big church. Like, this is a massive church in Jerusalem. Massive. And here they are, and they gather, they gather all of these elders, these godly men who are putting spiritual things first. And you've heard me say it once, and I will say it again. When you get godly men who pursue spiritual things first, all the other issues take care of themselves. I'm just telling you, this is how this works. And so often we got it backwards. Let's get ungodly men in there who are pursuing their own agenda, their own fame, their own renown, guise it, cloak it in that we're doing this for Jesus, work on things that have nothing to do with spirituality. No wonder you got a mess on your hands when someone comes on the scene and goes, hey, let's pursue Jesus. It's certainly going to create a challenge, and we'll talk more about that here in a moment. So what happens, 19, and greeting them, here it is, he, any idea who he is, don't say Jesus, Paul, thank you, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through His ministry. Did you catch this? If you're a professed believer in Christ today, and it's real and it's true, you are a minister for the gospel. Didn't say a pastor, a minister. So that means you have a ministry. Every person who professes Christ, if it's real true, and that's, in this culture, you got to actually say that anymore. If it's real and if it's true, you have a ministry. So again, in your life, what dominates your conversations? I mean, think through this. What dominates? Are you relating one by one the great things that God is doing. Because the temptation is to cloak it, masquerade it, to scratch an itch that we all have of the enemy of self, and to relate one by one the great things that we are doing. The Bible says this, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, like nothing. Like we can pray for success. I hear that sometimes, Lord, give us success. That's great. I'd much rather, I'd much rather pray for spiritual effectiveness. You can be successful and be a total flop in the kingdom of God. But when you're spiritually effective, you're focused on spiritual things. That's what matters to God. And yet here, what do we see? Paul is recounting. He's, he's literally, in the original language, it, it means this. The word means this, to, to unfold. So you kind of unfold something, right? You unfold it. Remember those things we used to, used to put in the mail on a piece of paper? And you'd put it in that little envelope that had a little door on it, and you'd lick the door, and you'd shut the door. And then you put a, a, a thing called a stamp, which, what are those now, $19 a piece or something like that? I mean, I can't keep up with the price, but anyway, and then you drop in this box, and then this guy in this little white truck that went like 37 miles per hour, top speed with the hamsters that were exhausted in the engine, they come to your house, open the little thing, and they put it in there, right? You would unfold, right? You would un- That's the visual. You're, you're literally, here's what you're doing, you're going, look... I get how this spiritual thing works, and it's not about me, because I'm nothing. Like, best day, best day, filthy rags. Like, that's on the best day. That'll keep you humble, won't it? Best day, filthy rags. 
And so you open, you unfold, you recount in painstaking detail what God is doing. And the only thing we do is run to the shadows of His cross and say, look at Him. Look what He's doing. That's exactly what Paul is recounting here. It's what the word means. He's unfolding in painstaking detail exactly the things that God did, that God had done. Paul's like, I'm the vessel. God, you're the one working through me, not the other way around. And he did this among the Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles. Look at 20a, last verse here in this chunk, 20a. And when they heard it, they did something. What did they do? Anybody know? They glorified who? Themselves? They were awesome. Look what we're doing. We're good. Is that what they did? When the elders heard this, now this is interesting, so I want you to walk with me through this. So Paul's talking to the elders, right? Would that be a true statement? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Okay, so but what do we do in the human flesh? Like when someone, you ready for this one? Come on now. When someone shares something good in their life that God's using them for His glory and they share it with you, here's the real question, how do you respond? <laughs> Ooh, here comes the jealousy monster, right? We love Jesus though, right? We love Jesus. As they literally are slinging darts at you with their eyes. I love Jesus. I hate you. Oh, man, you see this all the time. This insecure, let's just call it what it is, narcissism. Just call it what it is. Put it on the table. Insecure narcissism. When we, as the body of Christ all over the world, should be the greatest cheerleaders for each other, amen? And yet, if we're not careful, we get sucked in. Because I'm not being applauded. I'm not being thanked. And people aren't telling me how great I am. It's just this inward enemy of self. I'm telling you, if you don't crucify it and kill it and take it out of the street and beat it, if you don't put a fresh nail in it every day. Tell me it's going to kill you. Because these elders, when they heard this, they weren't jealous. They weren't coveting. They weren't fighting for power and control. Paul, I can't believe this Paul. God's using him. He's not using us. Duh, you wonder why? No, you didn't see any of that. They didn't complain. Didn't hatch a plan. They did not hatch any plan. Let's see how we can get rid of Paul. How can we badmouth Paul? How can we discredit Paul because we're not getting what we want? No, they glorified who? God. <laughs> there it is. Every true believer should be pushing other people to the front. Every true believer should be just desiring that God gets all the glory in the end. And that's exactly the model that we see here. See, this is what we talk about. It's spiritual guys. You've got to put spiritual guys in this role. If they're insecure, if they're looking for the applause, if they had a, let's just say it for what it is, okay? They had a bad relationship with their dad. Let's just put it right out there, the elephant in the room, right? Just because you had a bad relationship with your dad doesn't mean, it does not mean that you have to live a life of insecurity for the rest of your life. I've seen many guys and women who've had a bad relationship with their dad and have overcome, but I have seen many. It is the common thread in every situation I've encountered in all of my ministry when guys go off the rail, if you put their names up on the board... The common thread is broken relationship with dad. Common thread. Telling you it does something. 
It puts you on a course that I got to prove, I got to prove that I'm worth it. I got to prove it to the world. And the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of Christ is that he, by his blood, by his divine exchange, by the great imputation where he takes our sin and we get his righteousness, he's the one that proves, he's the one that makes us worthy. I've seen more women and men that are right now enslaved to that one concept. And I have seen over the years, I've seen men and women overcome that and thrive in it and become all that God has called them to be. But I've seen many who to this very day, even at an old age, are still waiting for dad to say, I'm proud of you. I love you. Matter of fact, this just dawned on me. This was years ago, listening to my car. Remember back in the day, we had those things in our cars called radios. You guys remember those radios? And we turned them on there and we listened. So I just tuned it on. This is 20 plus years ago. I'll never forget this. I wish I could cite the source on this. This is so good. But some guy was given a talk. It was a Christian radio station. He was given a talk and he was recounting that he went to uh, the, the CEOs of the biggest companies in America. They all gathered in one room. This is like Fortune 500 on steroids. The, I mean, we're talking steroids. This is the big boys. If you name them off, you go, I recognize that name and I recognize that name and I buy that product and I buy this product. You would recognize all these names. As I tuned in, here's what he did. He he actually asked the crowd this. He asked the crowd this question. Woo! You ready? He goes, how many of you are waiting for your dad to tell you he loves you? And guess how many people raised their hands? You guessed it. All of them. Does something. I gotta prove that I'm worthy. If you can get in a situation where you can have power and control, you're not going to look at other people and go, man, I'm so glad God's using you. That was not these elders. They were spiritual men who cheered each other on spiritually. Oh, this is what God did in your life, Paul? Let's give glory to God. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. That's why our key number one, key number one, write this down. Key number one, like the Apostle Paul, a true believer's conversations will be dominated by sharing in detail the great things God has done and is doing in their lives. Write that down, key number one. Like the Apostle Paul, he's our model because he modeled Christ. Remember, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like the Apostle Paul, a true believer, not a false one, a true one, their conversations will be dominated by sharing in detail the great things God has done and is doing in their lives. I mean, the worship war is real, isn't it? I mean, we look back to the Garden of Eden, that's where all this thing started. The worship war. Who will get the glory? Us humans or God? It's real. Every human, every day, I'm talking to me, every day we got to go against and fight against and war against the worship war. We typically don't get bent out of shape because we're getting what we want, right? Hey, man, why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? What's going on with your countenance? You look horrible. Man, I'm getting everything I want. That'd be really weird, wouldn't it? 
typically we get bent out of shape. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. But all, church, all who have given and surrendered their lives to Christ are people, here's what the Bible says, they are people for His own possession. That's what the Bible says. So if you're a true believer, you are a person, we are people for His possession. And yet it's not on the screens, write it down, 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the last days and the first thing on the list. The first thing on the list is men, women will be lovers of themselves. There it is. <laughs> there it is. It is the tree by which all of that rotten fruit grows from. We call it the me monster. We call it planet me. Planet me. It says these, those people, unless they repent, will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. You go to church all your life, you can be a pastor, be a deacon, be a Sunday school teacher, pass an offering plate, do whatever you want, get baptized every Sunday morning, and the reality is if you don't repent from indwelling pride, being lovers of self instead of lovers of God, the Bible is so clear, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Write down James chapter 3. I'm going to give you several supporting verses here under this key number 1. James 3, 5 through 10. Because think about this for a moment. So when we talk about, go back to our thought of what dominates our conversations. Not trick questions, but just kind of help me here to kind of prime this pump. So when you have a conversation, and I understand that sign language could be a valid answer to what I'm asking but typically, what do you use when you're having a conversation? Your mouth, right? And what's inside your mouth? This little thing called the tongue. Let's see what the Bible says about this, okay? Let's just go to this. If we're going to ask, do my conversations, are they really around the Lord? Are they around me? What dominates my conversations? Let's just go to the Bible, to Scripture. So, James 3, 5 through 10, it says this, so also the tongue is a small member, but it does something, yet it boasts of great things. Isn't that kind of ironic? Pause for a moment. So this little thing called a tongue, boy, it boasts of great things, doesn't it? Now, we want to boast in the Lord. We just saw that here in Acts 21. Paul's boasting in the Lord. These are the great things God has done in me, through me, and beyond me, and to Him, and to Him. Now to Him who is able, He gets all the praise and all the glory. But James tells us a different story. He says what? Well, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. So now he's calling the tongue a small fire. Hmm. Six, and the tongue is a fire. There it is. A world of what? Ooh, man. This kind of makes us squirm, doesn't it? A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. What does it do? It stains the whole what? Man, this is tough sledding. This is in the Bible, James 3, 5 and following. Setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by What? Mm, hell. Seven, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed, can be brought under submission, is what that means, and has been tamed under submission by mankind. Eight, but, oh boy, but no human being can tame, can bring under submission the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly what? Woo, we got fires and we got poison. Mm. With it, here we go. Now here we go. This is it. With it, what do we do? I love Jesus. We bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we do what? We curse people. We talk about them. We try to bring them down, right? I don't want to glorify God for what He's doing in your life. I want to talk about you, discredit you. 
say things about you that aren't true, spread this, spread that, so that I'll feel better about myself. Hmm. The cursed people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, that means fellow believers, these things ought not to be so. Wow. Well, that's some heavy lifting there, isn't it? Well, think about Matthew chapter 12 under this key one. Got elders who are spiritual men. They're partnering with Paul. They're excited and delighted for what God is doing in his life. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. So either, so if it says either, that means there's a choice. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by what? It's fruit. So every one of us, no matter how much we try to hide godly holy things, those godly holy things will come out. You'll see them, and the flip side's true. You can try to cloak it. You think you're fooling people, but trust me, people are on to you more than you know. What happens? Well, you brood of vipers. Hmm. You brood of vipers. Do you think that's a compliment? You brood of vipers. Here's what he's saying. You bunch of snakes. You bunch of snakes. Oh, you bunch of snakes. How can you speak good when it doesn't say you speak evil? What does it say? When you are evil. Pause here for a moment, okay? Let's pause here. If anyone wondered if Jesus had great courage and boldness, you can just take him right there to Matthew 12. He calls them a brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. And then he doesn't say you're just kind of misstepping here and speaking occasional evil. He says you are evil. Where's the love, Jesus? That's our culture today, right? Where's the love? <laughs> ah, Jesus says, I came to bring not peace, but a sword. And what that means is this, that for those that rebel against Him, a sword's coming down. It's going to cut. It's going to divide. We saw last time together that Jesus said, hey, why are you following me? And if you're going to go out and do this and do that, you've got to actually go hate your mom, hate your dad, hate your family. What, what did he mean by that? Here's what he meant. The devotion that you give to God, the devotion that I give to God must be so supreme, must be so dialed in. It must be so, so tethered and anchored and riveted and bolted and welded to Him that all other relationships will seem as hate. Because we love you, God, more than anything. And right here in Matthew 12, right here, you brood of vipers, verse 34, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? It speaks. What's in there is going to come out. You can only corral it for so long. If you're really jealous, if you're coveting, if you're insecure, it's going to come out at some point. So what happens? Well, the good person out of the good treasure, 35, brings forth good. We know that. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Okay, makes sense. 36, I tell you this. Here's the warning. Here's the warning. But this is a justifiable sin right here. We have that list, don't we? Let's be honest. As, as Christians, what do we? we have the list. So I'm not going to sleep around. You know, I'm not going to commit robbery. Not gonna... We got all these really big sins, and then we got all these ones we justify. Well, let's be honest, we just justify them, right? It's the gossip, the slander, the, the backbiting, the jealousy, the coveting, all that. It's all justifiable, we, right? Because if it wasn't justifiable, we'd be convicted, we'd repent. But we justify. I got this list, and God must be okay with it. I'm still here, I'm still breathing. You know, I'm, it hasn't struck me with a lightning bolt, it must be okay. And so what happens? Well, you look right here, here it is. Here's the warning from Scripture. Like, this is from Scripture. 
36 of Matthew 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I don't know if we all want to say "Uh uh-oh together, but we probably should say "Uh uh-oh together, amen? Like "Uh uh-oh, like this is in the Bible. But how often do we obey this? Often we don't, do we? Often because if someone has what we want, we go on the attack and somehow we rationalize it. And what happens? Well, 37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Wow. Kind of makes you just not want to talk anymore. Amen. telling you, this is so serious. And I'll tell you, you allow this stuff into a home, a, a church, etc., it will destroy. You know how I know? Because I go back to James. It's like a fire. It's going to spread. It's poison. It's poison and toxins get released into the healthy water system. That's why Proverbs 25, 28 says this, a man without self-control or a woman, a man, woman, it means humankind, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. What do you guys know about back in the day with walls around a city? Why were they there? Decorations? They had a bunch of extra concrete blocks. Hey, let's just put them together with a bunch of mud. Is that what they did? Why do they have them? For what? For protection. Let me read it again. As a man without self-control, and in this instance, the tongue, you, me, if that's us, We're like a city broken into and left without protection. (laughs) So Satan goes, man, this one's really easy. Usually I have to climb up a wall. I have to put on my infrared lights. I have to put mask on and the face painting to crawl through to get to this guy, this lady. Oh, look, their walls are broken. There I go. Easy, huh? Yeah, it's that easy many times. Luke chapter 8 says it like this. Write it down, Luke 8, 38 through 39. Luke 8, 38 through 39, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare. So now let's talk about what it looks like to declare. Declare how much God has done for you. Boy, this sounds familiar, Acts 21. And he went away, he obeyed, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Can you imagine that we leave here today as you're on your way to the McDonald's drive-thru, and before you get there, can you imagine you're just shouting at the top of your lungs everywhere you go, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's rescued me. My life is no longer my own. I want to make a difference for His glory. I don't need to have preeminence. I just want Him to have the preeminence. I don't need to be first. I can be last. I understand that the way up is actually down. I understand that you win. Well, how do you win? Well, you win by losing. How do you live? You live by dying. I understand. Praise Jesus. Imagine you get all of us doing that this afternoon. Now, they may lock us up, amen? Yeah, that's possible. But can you imagine what happened in our neighborhoods? Church, what dominates your conversations? What dominates them? Every idle word I give, every idle word you give will be brought into the light on the day of judgment. That's why Psalm 71, 15 through 18 says it like this, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will what? I will come. I will remind them, conversations, there it is, I will remind them of your righteousness. Man, you go out and you go to the ball game. You gather with the ladies group. Wherever you go, all in the community. You're reminding, you're reminding people of the great things God has done, is doing, will do in your life, all for the fame, the renown, the glory, and the praise of His name. Know how powerful that would be as we do those things, I pray. So, 17 of that Psalms, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age, 
and gray hairs, O God. Do not forsake me until I proclaim, until I converse, until I share your might to another generation. I'm going to pour into the next generation of how great you are, God. This is what you did in my life. I'm now in my 70s or my 80s, maybe in your 90s, and you're praising the Lord going, this is what you did in my life. I don't want to waste it. I want to give it away in missionary sacrifice to the next generation. That's a life worth living there. That's a life worth living. Amen. So think about this as we look at the backside of this narrative. Here's the last section, Acts 21, 20 B is in boy through 24. So here it is, Acts 21, 20 B through 24. And they said, so again, great ministry report by Paul. Elders are excited. Man, they're behind it. They're glorifying God. There's no jealousy. There's no one-upmanship. They're not looking, they're not looking to outdo one another. They're looking to outdo one another in showing honor. And what happens? 20B, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, they've given their lives to Christ. They are zealous for the law, not in a salvific sense, but referring to Jewish ceremonies. Now, here it is, 21. Where God is working, so is who? Satan. Here it is, 21. Can't make this stuff up. 21. And they have been told about you. So, go back to James 3, what that little tongue does. Conversation, conversation, conversation. Fire, fire, fire. Poison, poison, poison. And they've been told about you, here goes the rumors, that you teach all the Jews. Wow, that's quite an accusation. There were a bunch of Jews, so all of them? Wow. Who are among the Gentiles who forsake Moses? That's a lie. Telling them not to circumcise their children? That's a lie. Or walk according to our customs? Guess what, church? That's a lie. Shocker alert, shocker alert, here it is. Thousands of Jews have believed. Thousands. I mean, we're talking thousands. And Satan doesn't take this sitting down. So he begins to spread false reports. That's what he does. That's what he's doing here. And the people that are spiritually undiscerning, they'll believe anything. Well, what happens? Well, these are serious charges. Look at 22. What then is to be done, they said. They will certainly hear that you have come here. So they're going to hear you're here, and they've heard the rumors, and they're going to try to put two and two together, even though two and two doesn't equal four in this equation. So what's going to happen? Well, this is where godly elders come in. I love this. You get spiritual men who are not insecure, who are trusting the Lord, walking in holiness, obedience, righteousness, all those things, and here's what happens. Look at this in your Bible. So what's then to be done? Well, here it is, okay? They're not going to sit on their hands. They're like, we got to do something. You're being falsely accused. We're going to stand with you. We're going to stand for you. We're going to stand for the gospel. They're going to counter these rumors with truth. They're going to defend Paul. You say, how do you know? Read on, my friends. 23. Do therefore what we tell you. So these spiritual elders are going, we got you, we got you, we got you. We're going out in front of you. We're taking the arrows and the bullets. Just stay with us. Hang in there, Paul, okay? This is biblical eldership working. It's healthy. It's how it should be done. Here's the scenario, right? We'll read on. We have four men who are under a vow. It's a Nazarite vow. Research it, number six. Not on the screens, but research it. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. But I chuckle when I read that. It's like, okay, Paul, hey, we want you to go along with these guys and just kind of stay with them. Oh, by the way, uh, break out your checkbook. Okay. Why do they do that? Here's why. Just to go along with people, you can give the impression that you're really with them, can't you? Oh, you can go along. You can pretend. Keep the show, the charade going. But maybe you start breaking out your checkbook. Man, there's a pain in that offering, Amen. Oh, yeah. So what happens? Well, look here. So that they may shave their heads. That's part of that Nazarite vow. Thus, okay, here we go. Last part of this. Thus, all will know. Mm. 
Here's the result. Thus all will know. All will be convinced is what that means in the Greek. That there is nothing in what they have said or told about you. Misinformation, disinformation, doesn't matter. It's all from Satan. Don't be his tool. But that you yourself also live in observance of the law. See, here's the reality. When you study Scripture, Paul was actually doing all the things they accused him not of doing. What's the problem here? They don't like it that the Gentiles are coming to know Jesus. Do you know there's people today all over this world that get infuriated when certain people give their lives to Jesus? And you know what that is? That's straight from Satan. That's straight from the pit of hell. When anyone gives their life to Christ, you should be doing cartwheels. And they're accusing Paul of actually doing things that he's not doing. Because he is supporting them. He's not endorsing Hear me clearly, he's not endorsing these Nazarite vows and observance of the law as salvific. They're customs. They're just customs. That's all it is. He's clear. There's, salvation is only through Christ alone. He's clear. So what do we do with all this? Well, I suggest we write down key number two. So key number two, write this down, our last key. Here it is. Like the Apostle Paul... True believers will face attacks on their reputation as Satan attempts to discredit them with the ultimate goal to discredit Christ. Key number two, like the Apostle Paul, true believers, not false ones, will face attacks on their reputation. It's part of it. As Satan attempts to discredit them with the ultimate goal to discredit Christ. Here's the deal. So, you're a true believer, let's say, and you're standing for Christ, and you're coming against the lies and the accusations and the gossip and all that goes on as Satan begins to pound, pound, pound. Here's the reality. The real target is Jesus. You're just in Satan's way. The real target is Christ. He hates Jesus. Why? You go back, right? Remember you go back and what happened? Remember you go back? I love this. You go back and what happened? What did Satan do in the heavens? I want to have what you have, Jesus. It all goes back to the same thing. I want it. I want it. I want it. Write down James chapter 3. Go back to James again, 14 through 16 this time. James 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy... And selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't do it. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, is unspiritual, is demonic. And you know the verse by now, 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be. It means this in the Greek, take it to the bank, that check will cash, disorder and every vile practice. So in your home, your church, wherever you go, your business, if you want it to be a total disaster, just get everyone pursuing themselves. That's what you'll get. That's what you'll get. And Paul was facing this. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2 says it like this, 19 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. See, this is the key. These three words put in this order, mindful of God. So not a trick question, but Peter's writing here. And who's he saying we should be mindful of ourselves? Your spouse, your friend, your coworker, your neighbor. Oh, that's a good thing to be mindful. But ultimately, who must we be mindful of? God. When we're mindful of Him and focused on Him, here's what happens. This is so good. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Mm. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Okay, now that's really messing with us, isn't it? Wait a minute, you're, you're saying we're called to this? We're called to suffer unjustly? You better believe it. 
If you read the Scriptures, it's all over. For those that are true in Christ, they're going to stand for Christ, you're going to take a spiritual beating. There's just no way around this. You're called to it. So what do you do with it? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that, why? 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 That you might follow in His steps. Wow, that's good, isn't it? Mm. Think about it. It goes on, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was, not if, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return when He suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself. There it is. He continued entrusting Himself to Him who justly judges, who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. And all God's people said, good stuff, I'm telling you. It's right there in the Word. It's in the Word. In the Word. You're going to suffer Paul shows us right here an example. Great things are going on for God's glory. Spiritual elders are around him. They're excited. They're celebrating. But there's always a group. There's always a group. 100% of the time that goes, we don't like this, and we're going to do something about it. And that's what the Judaizers were doing. They hated that the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. Just horrible. Just, it's just demonic. It's satanic. It turns my stomach even just thinking about it. So Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to give you two more chunks. Here it is, Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So when you go to work and they're making fun of you, when you go to work and they call you out and they go, where do you stand on this issue? When you go to work and these things happen, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And the word persecute simply means it's to mistreat. It doesn't mean you have to be nailed on a cross. You can just be mistreated. Persecute you and utter all kinds of evil. There goes the tongue against you falsely on my Jesus says account. How are we to respond? This is easy, isn't it? Rejoice and be glad. Whew, that's easy to do, isn't it? Wrong. Why though? For your reward. It's not here on earth. It's in heaven. It's great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But there should be great comfort in that. Amen. As you suffer, Man, we suffer well. So let me give you this final chunk here of Scripture as far as supporting verse. Here it is. Write this down. Revelation 6. We're going to go to the end of the book. Revelation 6. Warning, warning, warning. Here it is. All in this context of Acts 21. Here it is. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. When he opened the sixth seal... I'd encourage you, by the way, to read these, all these different seals that get opened. This eschatology, it's fascinating, it's glorious. I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth and the full moon became like blood. What's well, a visual, isn't it? And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by gale. The sky vanished like a scroll, wow, that has been rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks to fall on us. Wow, you're asking the rocks to fall on you, the mountains to fall on you. And hide us from the face of Him. Hide us from the face of Him who's seated on the throne. And hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who, and who can stand? Wow. I don't know about you, but 
And I pray you got everything buttoned up. Because if you don't have everything buttoned up spiritually, that's going to be you. That's going to be you. You can go to church your entire life, and that can still be you. The Bible says this in Revelation. It's not on the screens, but I'm going to close with this thought. Here's what it says. Revelation chapter 12, read it later. It says this. Take this to the bank. If you're, if you're really one of those, and I get it, not everyone is. I get this. I get this. But if you're really one of those that says, I'm going to crawl on the tip of the spear. I'm going to crawl out on the tip of that spiritual spear. I will be the one. I'll be the one that stands in the gap. I'll do it. I'll do it. If that's you, here's what the Bible says. It says that that the great dragon, that's Satan. When you read Revelation, the dragon is Satan. It says that he accuses the brethren day and night. He slanders, he accuses day and night. If you're one of those that says, I really do want to live every waking moment for the glory of God. I want to be that person. You're going to face this. But I end with this, which is not on the screens. It's John 16, write it down. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation. It means pressure, pressing together. But he says, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Amen? I pray today as we even bow our heads together, Lord, we think on these thoughts. God, I know that your truth is offensive. Perhaps in this room, perhaps that are listening online or via radio, I'm sure there's someone who's pretty angry right now. And yet, Lord, I've realized in my own life when I get the most angry at what your word says, it's always a call for me to repent. And so, Lord, I pray that. I pray, Lord, that perhaps you're calling someone right now to repent. Are they glorifying you because others are having great success in you and effectiveness in you? Or perhaps they're jealous. And that sin, unbeknownst to them, is like carbon monoxide. It's killing them from the inside out. They don't taste it. They don't smell it. They don't see it. But it is killing them from the inside out. Lord, true believers cheer each other on. True believers want others to go to the front. Why? Because we read it today. When we're mindful of God, we have the mind of Christ who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. As so, Holy Spirit, I just ask, would You move right now? Would You stir like only You can? And we can't save ourselves, let alone anyone else. But God, I know You can through the power of Your Spirit. And so, Lord, whatever business we need to do with You today, I pray we would do it. God, I pray for that person that does need to repent of whatever it might be, that they would not leave here today ignoring you because that heart's going to get more calloused. It's going to get more hardened. The soul and the eyes are going to grow more vacant over time. And before we know it, it's too late. So I pray the heart, my heart, all of our hearts would be soft and tender. Just, Lord, what do you want to do in my life, our lives today? How am I? How are we not like Christ? God, what do our conversations with others reveal about where our hearts really are? And then are we able and willing by your power to face the person in the mirror and do the heart-hard surgery that is so needed? Oh, Lord, we come before you. Nothing good in us is of us. If there's anything good in us, it's of you. May you be praised. May you be glorified. Because your word tells us that 
When you are high and lifted up, Jesus, you will draw people to yourself. God, your word tells us that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. This is not the time to bend, buckle, and break on the truth, but a time to hunker down, to be bold for the gospel, to stand for what is right. May we be those people. And may you receive all the glory as we decrease and you increase. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.